Thanks for listening to this week's Hope at Crossroads. We are glad you're taking the time to listen. As you tune in today, if you need encouragement or prayer, please reach out to us by texting 864-288-1626. Or you can connect with us through our website, hopeatcrossroads.org. Spread the word to your friends and let them know they can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Videos of our messages are also online at hope at crossroads.org. And now, here's this week's message. Well, good morning, Crossroads. If you would open your Bible to 1 Timothy while you're turning there. Uh, I've got three friends I'd like to come to the uh, front Amanda Huey, where are you? Come on up here, Amanda. Take your time, hurry up. Uh, and uh, while she's coming, Heath and Kayla, if you can come on up this way too. Uh, I like to recognize people who have... Uh, was that for me? Oh, I thought you were going to put one on me. I like to recognize people who have accomplished things. And uh, I don't know if some of you maybe who follow Amanda on social media this past... I'm not going to mess with her. Because she was, she was power lifting and squatting tons of weight. And I got these awards in the uh, Special Olympics last week. So I just wanted to let everybody know that happened. So thank you. Proud of you, girl. Thank you, thank you. I'll let you sit down. Thank you. We got a couple of other friends that you might not know of uh, who've been serving our church. Uh, we'll start with ladies first and best looking, better looking than the two. Uh, Kayla Holbrook has been serving here in our children's ministry uh, and also doing a lot of communications. And I think it was last week, somewhere around last week, celebrated five years of service here at Crossroads. We wanted to say as a church family, thank you. Love you. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. Thank you. And I just shy of 25 years, I heard there was a car giveaway at 25 years. And uh, the Pinto couldn't make it. 72 Pinto couldn't make it. But one year shy of that, 24 years of faithful service with our student and teaching pastor, Heath Cruz. So if we could give both of these folks a big hand this morning. Love you, man. Thank you. Appreciate you both. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Y'all are a blessing to us. And uh, we want you to, to know that. Uh, this morning, 24 years, five years. Wow, that's fantastic, fantastic. When you think about leadership, I don't know what you think of. Maybe you think of somebody like one of those three, or maybe you have a negative connotation that comes to your mind when you think about leadership. I remember in the first church that I served in, I may have shared this story, I was 19 years old and I was a student pastor and our church had raised a lot of money to send our teenagers to a summer camp. And somehow along the way, there got to be this discussion about what music we would listen to on the way to Florida. And uh, now this was way back in the you know, early 90s. I'm not sure music has progressed in a positive way since then. But uh, the teenagers had decided they were going to bring their silly vanilla and whatever they were listening to on their CD Walkmans, and that's what they were going to listen to, and I started thinking about that, thinking, okay, we're going on a spiritual retreat that the church family has given their money towards. Uh, we're going to listen to some Christian music, at least on the way down and on the way back. I can't control much more than that, but I can control 
what we play on the radio and what we listen to. And uh, I'd like to say everybody liked that decision. One of the things you'll discover about being a leader is not everybody likes the decisions that you make. Boy, that would be easy if they did. And so I let the parents of the students know about 28 students we were going to take. And uh, some of them liked my plan and some of them did not. And the ones that did not went, instead of following the biblical strategy of going, coming to me directly, they decided to go to the top. The senior pastor. Or so they thought that was the top. By the way, the senior pastor... The lead pastor is not the top. There is no CEO of Crossroads Baptist Church. Jesus Christ is the head of this church. Just want you to know that, okay? I know we're in a culture where even among churches we have different philosophies. But let's make sure we follow the biblical philosophy. But nonetheless, they decided to go talk to the pastor. And the pastor called me into his office. I'd love to tell you today that the pastor said... Jack, you're doing a great job with the student ministry, and I support you wholeheartedly. That's not what happened. He said, you know what? I'm not sure this is a place to ruffle feathers. I think you should backtrack and just let them do what they want to do. And I discovered right then there are a lot of different kinds of leaders. There are good leaders, and there are bad leaders. And what does... God have to say to us this morning from his word about leadership. He is talking through Paul to Timothy about leadership and specifically leadership in the church. And before we even get into the bulk of the text, I want us to go to the end of the chapter because as I read this chapter again and again this week, the question came to my mind, why did Paul share this information with Timothy? Why did he think it was important? I like it when I ask questions and the Bible answers them immediately. Because Paul tells Timothy in this chapter why he's giving this information in verse 14. He says these words. I'm writing these things to you. Hoping to come to you before long. But in case I'm delayed. I write so that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God. Which is the church of the living God. The pillar and support of the truth. Let me read that last phrase again. The pillar and support of the truth. And by common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who is revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, beheld by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Of course, he's talking about Jesus. So Paul tells us and tells Timothy why this information is important. It's important so that we have the proper conduct among leaders in the church. And I think one of the great things that pains me, even at my age, is that our younger folks have not seen, generally speaking, for the most part across Christianity and church life, they've not seen great leadership. There are all kinds of statistics, and I know that Heath gets these, and Kayla probably gets these because of the age group that they serve in our church, there are all kinds of statistics that say why the next generation is leaving the church. And there's a lot of great answers, but I personally believe one thing that is often missing in those surveys is those younger people have never seen great leaders. 
And they see great leaders maybe in other places, maybe in athletics, maybe in sports, maybe in school, maybe in civic responsibility. And they're like, well, if that's missing in the church, I'm going to redirect my energy and passion somewhere where there's great leadership. And I can just honestly say I don't blame them. Why would you want to be a part of something that's not going to make a difference? Why would you want to invest your time, energy, and resources in something that's not going to impact God's kingdom? And so Timothy is receiving this information from Paul because we know from earlier chapters uh, Paul was sharing these things because there was a lot of problem in the church. There were a lot of arguments going on. There was a lot of things not operating exactly right. So let's read it together. 1 Timothy chapter 3, what does he say? It's a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it's a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, uncontentious, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, lest he become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he may not fall into reproach and into the snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their households for those who have served well as deacons, obtain for themselves a high standing and a great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. What is Paul trying to say to Timothy? You see it there on the screen. The spiritual ceiling of a church is determined by our leaders. Now, I am grateful... If you're visiting today, I just want you to know as one of the pastors here, I'm grateful that in our church, I believe, and I've been in a lot of churches, we have some fantastic leadership. Are we perfect? No. Can we learn more? Yes. Have we got it figured out? No. Not all the time. But the spiritual ceiling in churches is determined by the leadership. The amount of faith that we decide we're going to step out to do things is determined by leadership. The amount of energy that we spend in prayer is determined by leadership. So leadership is a very important thing. So Paul is sharing this because he wants to make sure, Timothy, hey, I'm kind of leaving you in charge here. Make sure you choose wisely when it comes to leadership. Now, I've seen all kinds of arguments about leaders. I've seen good leaders. I've seen bad leaders. I've seen those people who are bad leaders just say, use some excuses. You've heard them too. I mean, we could make a list up here. If we had a big whiteboard, we all could come up and write tons of excuses. I've heard them, you know, wow, that's just the way that I am. Well, if that's just the way that you are, and you're not being the kind of leader God wants you to be, God wants to change you. It might be the way that you are now, but God wants to grow you. He wants to change you. I hear some people, God's still working on me. I know that's true. He is. He's still working on me. But Paul, I find it interesting, of all the things that he could tell Timothy, of all the questions that he could get Timothy to start to ask, 
The question that he is wanting Timothy to think about is leadership. How are our leaders doing? Where are our leaders? Are they following God? My dear Crossroads family, there are a lot of questions we as a church could be asking right now in our culture with what the world is facing, with what our church is facing. I want to submit to you this morning that probably the number one question should be, what are we doing as leaders? Because everything else will be determined by answering that question. How are we serving as leaders? You may be sitting there this morning thinking, well, I'm not a leader. Ah, you're a leader. Somebody's watching you. If you're a parent, you're a leader. If you're a grandparent, you're a leader. If you're an older person, you're a leader because younger people are watching you. If you're a younger person, you're a leader because older people are watching. Everybody can be a leader. Now, there are some qualifications Paul is going to give to Timothy here. But all of us can be leaders. And the reason that Paul thinks this is so important is because it's people in positions of leadership who safeguard, we talked about this a little bit last week, who safeguard orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is a big spiritual word that means right doctrine. It's our beliefs. And leadership should be guarding our belief system, our correct beliefs based on God's Word. And they also should be modeling orthopraxy. You say, what is that? That's another big churchy word that means right living. And the reason this is important, Paul is saying to Timothy, his young Timothy, who he is mentoring. And the reason we talked about mentoring last week, not only is because the Bible tells us to talk about it, but because in the church life, what Paul is saying is... The way that spiritual discipline, the way that spiritual doctrine is passed down is from one generation to the next generation. And the reason that's so important is because orthopraxy, right doctrine, determines orthopraxy, right living. And if you don't know the right things, then you don't live the right way. So this is important. Leadership, he's saying, is important. Christ said it this way in Luke chapter 6. A disciple is not greater than his teacher, but everyone, when fully trained, will be like his teacher. Discipleship is often called, not taught. If you're a parent or a grandparent, you know it. When you see your kids doing things that you do, and you didn't sit down to teach them that, it's like, how did they learn that? They're watching. They're watching us. So before we get into the notes on the screen, I, I looked over this passage again heavily this week, and I thought about three things that I want to give to you before we get to the notes that will be on your screen. What really is leadership? Because we don't know what leadership is. When Paul starts going through some of these qualifications, it won't make sense. What is leadership? Spiritual, three things. Number one, spiritual leadership in the church is not about titles. It's not about honor. It's not about glory. What is it about? It's about a four-letter word, W-O-R-K. Work. Jesus said it this way in Mark chapter 9. If you desire to be first, you should be last and you should be a servant of all. That word servant means you should be a worker, you should be serving people. It's an action word. You should be doing something. Now, there's a generation of Christians, my age and older right now on planet Earth, who would tell us that once you accept Jesus and you come to know him, you just bask in his glory and you just sit around. That's not what the Bible teaches. And we're going to talk about more of that this morning, and that's why Paul went through this with Timothy. Carrying the title, by the way, doesn't make you a leader. I've served under many people who had the title pastor that were not pastor. 
I've served with many people under the title who've had the title director, and they weren't directing anything. So carrying the title, as a matter of fact, you and I know very well, especially in our culture in which we live today, from politics to civic duties to school boards to church boards across the land, titles mean really nothing. So spiritual leadership's not about titles or honor or glory. Spiritual leadership's also not about giftedness. That might surprise you. God doesn't say, and Paul doesn't say to Timothy here, go out and get the most gifted people. So see, some of us should feel a great relief because when you heard me talk about and say the word leadership, in your mind, you immediately said to yourself, I'm not a leader because I can't do this and I can't do this and I don't know this and I don't know the Bible and I'm not an eloquent speaker. And But you started going down your list of gifts that you think you don't have. And God doesn't say go out and get the most gifted man. As a matter of fact, if you read what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he talks about going out and finding somebody who is surrendered to the Holy Spirit and God will equip or give gifts through the Holy Spirit to that person to whom he's called. So it's not about being the most gifted. Getting training is great. Going to college and seminary is great. But going to seminary doesn't make you qualified for spiritual leadership. Did you hear that? In our land, there's a great, historically, there's been a great push for that. And again, I'm a little older now, been far removed from college life and seminary life. But I'll tell you, the people that I see coming out of colleges and even, dare I say, Baptist seminaries, I'm wondering, where's the leadership? Book knowledge is great. Wisdom is great. Knowing God's Word is great. I'm not downplaying any of those things. But if you come out thinking that because you have that, all of a sudden you're God's gift to mankind... You've totally missed the point. Natural or spiritual gifts in and of themselves does not qualify somebody for spiritual leadership. What somebody donates doesn't qualify them for spiritual leadership. Well, I give the most amount of money to the church, so I'm a leader. Show me that in God's Word. I give the most amount of time. I give the most amount of resources. None of that qualifies us for spiritual leadership. You say, well, Pastor Jack, then what qualifies us for spiritual leadership? We're getting ready to look at it, and it's summarized under one word, and it's this. Godly character. And godly character established according to these clear criteria that Paul is going to outline in his word. And he outlines them with different positions. Now, we could spend months and months and months on this passage of Scripture. I wish we had that amount of time. We don't. So we're going to hit some of the highlights this morning. But before we talk about those qualifications, he mentions three different offices, if you will, in these passages of Scripture that are in, again, in the church. He's talking about church life. And the first one that he mentions is an elder. And Paul says to Timothy... That these elders or leaders, he uses the word overseers. It also can be translated as the word bishop. Now, I've tried to get the staff to call me Bishop Jack. I just like that, bishop, bishop. I know some denominations use that word, and that's great. Because bishops in those denominations maybe oversee pastors in a particular region or a particular city. But the reality is, in Scripture, these titles all are referring to the same position. Overseer, bishop, pastor, elder. Elder represents a spiritual maturity and wisdom. Bishop is like an overseer that comes with the office. Pastor is a shepherding term. So Paul uses these throughout his letters, and especially talking to Timothy, interchangeably, so they kind of mean the same thing. 
And then he gets into some qualifications. Now, there are several qualifications. I have kind of shrunk this list down for sake of time this morning. I encourage you to look at it, but there's 12 of them. And I'm going to run through them pretty fast because we'll run out of time. But as I mention these, I want you to ask yourself, does this describe me as a leader? Does this describe me as a person? And let me just go ahead and kind of tell you where we're headed. At the end of the service, I've been praying about this as I do every week. I'm going to ask you in your seat to ask the Lord, God, are you calling me to step up and be a leader? As I thought about this, and I just mentioned this, the greatest question we should be asking now has to do with leadership. As I thought about where our church is heading for the future, the plans and dreams and visions God has given our church. There's only one concern that I have. You may say it's the millions of dollars we're going to need to build a building. That, nope, that's actually not it. That's way down the list. My main concern is where are the leaders going to come from when this congregation, Lord willing, and it looks like he's doing this, when this congregation is twice the size, Lord Jesus, where are the leaders going to come from? And you know what I feel like he said to me this week? They're already sitting right there in the room. The question is, are we going to step up and be the leader God wants us to be? Because God is sending people here, and I'm so grateful. So grateful. So the first thing he mentions is leaders must serve, leaders must work. I've mentioned this before, that sometimes we think that manual labor is the governor of Mexico. Manual labor is working, it's sweating, it's working in partnership with God to accomplish His purposes. Leaders have to work, have to serve. The second thing he says there is leaders must be above reproach. In verse 2, above reproach, what does that mean? It means blameless. Above reproach, blameless. He says about the husband of one wife. He's talking about a one-woman man. There's been a lot of study on this. There's been a lot of uh, incorrect theology preached in the churches. That, well, that means a divorced person can't serve. That's not what the original language says to you and me. It's talking about a one-woman man. I've seen churches disqualify people because they've, they're in, they've, their first marriage, for whatever reason, was not successful, fruitful, or failed. They've been following God for 20 years. They know more scripture than the pastor does. And they won't let that person be in a place of leadership. Shame on you. You need to reread the Bible and see what the Bible actually says. Why we separate sins over here that are worse than sins over here. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not downplaying what the scripture is saying here. But we need to understand exactly what it's saying. We've got to be a one woman man is what he's saying. You shouldn't be out flirting with other women. You shouldn't have a woman on the side, which was the culture of the day, if you know what Paul is talking about here. Leaders must be husband of a one woman, a one woman man. The analogy that he has here in all these words, if you were to study these words, are boxing words. And he's basically saying a boxer who is so good that his opponent cannot land a blow on him because he's so good at being above reproach, at being a one-woman man. And he's not just talking about inside the church. The connotation is even outside the church. In other words, if you were to ask this question, when people both inside and outside the church hear that you are in leadership, what does that make them think of? If people in your workplace, in your community, in your neighborhood were to know that you were a leader, an elder, or a deacon, or a Sunday school teacher, a small group leader at Crossroads, and they heard that, would they go, no doubt. 
that guy walks with God, no doubt. Or would they go, he's a leader at Crossroads? That's what he's saying there. The connotation of that is that you're a boxer and you're dodging every blow of the enemy so that you can stand above reproach. Say, Jack, what is, is, he, is he, does he mean then that you've got to be married? That's also another mis-theological point that we sometimes get. He's specifically saying to Timothy, if you find someone who's been married or is married, they need to be a one-woman man. He's not saying you can't serve if you have never been married. Interesting how we like to add stuff into the Bible and take stuff out that's not in there. It's not what he's saying. Some of the people that I know who are the most godly people that I know are men who have decided for whatever reason, maybe they were married, maybe they're not anymore, maybe they've chosen to never get married. I have a dear friend who lives in Idaho who's one of the most godly individuals I know and for a long, 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 long time, for 42 years of his life, he said, I'm going to serve God and worry about women later. And we know in Scripture there are many people like that. So single people can be leaders. Then he goes on to say you've got to be faithful. He uses the word uh, temperate, vigilant. It means watching over others, a concern for other people. The question I wrote down for me, because I, I need to grow in the area of leadership, is am I more concerned about my own agenda or am I concerned about the agenda of other people? You know how I can determine that in my own life? Because I have ADD and I'm always running at the speed of light. If I'm having a conversation with somebody and I'm thinking about what I'm wanting to get out of that conversation, that's a great sign that I need to slow down and focus in on what they're saying and listen to them and be temperate, be vigilant. Then he says, be self controlled. Prudent is another word there. Self-controlled. Sober, some translations say. A person of learning. It means a clear-headed person. You have anybody like that in your life? There's sometimes I'm going through all kinds of decisions and I can't figure out what to, what to do. And there's a few people in my life I know that I'm like, man, I can call them and they're so clear-headed. They'll just, they'll just cut right to the chase and just tell me. Write what they think and write what God's Word says. Because I've got all this noise in my brain and I can't. Get through it. That's being sober. That's being clear-headed. Then he says respectable. Now he's talking about the outward part, given to good behavior. When he says self-controlled and sober, the word there that he's using is more, it's more an internal focus word. But then he says respectable, and that's kind of like reputation. That's like what everybody else sees on the outside when they look at you. Things like, are you... Rude or sour or boisterous. The word there, respectable, means also to be balanced, to be stable. Not self-destructive. Then he uses another word. I love this word. We should love this word in the South. You should have this word like highlighted on this verse because this is us right here. Hospitable. Hospitable. It literally means this, a lover of strangers. And back in biblical times, there weren't a lot of you know, Hampton Inns around. There weren't a lot of holiday inns. People's homes were the inns. And so hospitable meant when a stranger came to your door, maybe somebody that you didn't know, but they were a Christ follower, and they were a follower of God, and they loved God, and they knocked on your door and said, excuse me, excuse me, sir, could I just have a place to lay tonight? Then you would open the door and come on in. That's a, that blows our mind in our concept here in 2022. No, none of us would ever do that. 
But that's the kind of hospitality Paul is telling to Timothy. Look for people who are willing to open their doors to strangers and to love people and to let them in. That's the kind of person you want to look for in a leader. He says, be able to teach. Capable of teaching. Doesn't mean you have to know all of the Bible. It doesn't mean you have to have a PhD in Greek. It doesn't mean you're a scholar. It just means that you're willing to teach and you're able to share what you know. You're ready to communicate your wisdom with other people. Then he says, not drunkards are violent. Some translations. Not addicted to wine or pugnacious, New American Standard says. Literally, he's saying, not so attached to wine that you can't do anything apart from that. In other words, that's your focus, that's your addiction, that's your go-to. And if you're like that and you don't have control over that area of your life, that you're attached to this thing and it has, it has a grip on you, then you're probably not qualified to lead. Then he says, gentle, uncontentious, not quarrelsome is a better translation, not a striker. You know anybody that's always looking for a fight? That's always contrary I mean, you could walk outside right now and you could just go, wow, look at that beautiful blue sky that has clouds in it. And they would go, look at that incredibly black sky that has those whatever puffy things in the air. I mean, they would just be contrary to you. They're always looking for an argument or looking for a fight, quarrelsome. Paul tells Timothy, you don't need people like that. Then he says, find people who are not lovers of money. Some of us incorrectly quote that scripture, I believe it's in James, that money is the root of all evil. That's not what the scripture says. It's the love of money that is the root of all evil. And Paul tells Timothy, find someone who's not a lover of money, someone who wants to operate with integrity when it comes to money, someone who's not covetous, someone who's not trying to keep up with the Joneses. Oh, look at what they got. And they got a, they got a new Lincoln Town car. I need one of those. Then he says, this last kind of phrase summarizes a lot of what he's saying. He says, he must be one who manages his own household well. Keeping his children under control. Key phrase, with all dignity. He's talking about managing your family, not by tyranny, dads. Not by sternness. Not by legalism. But managing your family with dignity, yes, with rules, yes, helping everybody understand their place in the home, yes, with helping understand everybody pulling together. It's interesting, again, you have to remember who he's writing to, what was going on at the day, what was the culture, because families in church were a lot different then than they are now. We throw out the word family in church, and we think back in Jesus' day, everybody had a Crossroads Baptist Church on every corner. Families and churches are a lot different today. And in ancient times, when you see the word family in the, in the Scripture, oftentimes it's talking about dozens and dozens of people. It's talking about the grandparents and the children and the children's children and the aunts and uncles. It's like family reunion. And all these people oftentimes live together. And so culture gave the head of the household, usually it was the oldest male, the power to kind of oversee the family. In first century, churches were relatively small. We have a lot more people in this room than in the average first century church. And they would meet in houses. And because they met in houses, they interacted like a household. 
And they interacted like families. And so people now, in our culture, we kind of have different expectations of family and church leadership. Um, Paul's point is this, that the leaders in the church should care for the church in a similar way that they care for their family. So let me ask this question. Do we as leaders care for our family in the church like we care for our own personal family? One thing to have physical family and blood family. It's another thing to have spiritual family. I love my family. I love my blood family. But church, I'm just as concerned with my spiritual family. Because you are my family. You are my brothers and sisters in Jesus. And as leaders, we have to be concerned about our church family. That's the point Paul is trying to make. So... When you read all of that, and then you get to verse 8, and again, for sake of time, Paul basically says deacons, the key word likewise, which refers to basically everything I've already said, and I'm getting ready to give you a few more things in case you didn't get it. Elders, overseers, deacons, all these characteristics that I've described, deacons likewise, and he mentions several more things. I encourage you to read it. Be men of dignity, not double-minded. Not addicted to much wine. Some of these things are repetitive. Some of these things are a little nuanced from what he's already said before. But he basically is saying all these things to say there's some qualifications to being a leader. Now, I read that list. And if you stop there, you're going to probably be like me. And I'm just going to go, woe is me. Call the wambulance because wham, wham, wham. I will never measure up to all of those things. So then I wrote down this question. How do we, as Christ followers, strive for those things and shoot for those things without them becoming a legalistic list? Because in some churches, that's the case. It's a legalistic checklist. Are you this? Are you this? Are you this? Are you this? If not, you're out. How do we do it? How do we shoot for those without being legalistic? I think there's a few things that we can do. And I'm not sure if I put these on the screen or not. But Paul is talking about and has been talking about last week as we talked about mentoring. And we'll talk about next week. He'll continue the conversation. All this is to basically say we should be maturing in our walk with Jesus. Where we are today, dear church family, we should be spiritually different than where we were last week, last month, last year. If you were to graph your spiritual life and you were to say, you know what, I am less than what I was spiritually the last year as far as maturity, then something is wrong. And I've said this before and I'll say it till I'm blue in the face or until I drop dead. Information and absorption of information, and we have wrongly taught this in the church, information does not bring transformation. That's part of it. Information, and what Jesus did was information plus demonstration brought transformation. In other words, disciples, I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to tell you you need to trust God. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk up here and I'm going to show you. When I say throw your nets on the other side of the boat and you've been fishing all night, I'm going to show you to trust me. And I'm going to demonstrate what happens as a result when you do. 
Information and demonstration brings transformation. That's why this whole conversation that Paul is having about mentoring and about maturity is so important. So how can we respond? Here's the first thing. Grow in character. How do we do that? Some of that is information. Parts of the Bible that you don't know will never change you. It's only the part of the Bible that you do know that will change you. But it's not just the information. It's getting that information and allowing God through the power of the Holy Spirit to bring transformation so that you can go out and bring demonstration to a world that needs to know Jesus. Are you tracking with me this morning? Crossroads. Say, "Uh uh-huh. Okay, just making sure. Some of you are thinking about lunch. I know. I am too. So we've got to grow in character. The second thing we've got to do is we have to grow in prayer. If you remember last week, we talked about the symbol that he talked about with men walking in with uplifted hands as a sign of humility and a sign of surrender. He was talking about the importance of prayer. We've got to grow in prayer. We've got to ask God, God, make me into the kind of leader you want me to be. Put these things into my life through the power of the Holy Spirit. None of these things, by the way, I don't know if you noticed the list, none of these things on the list can you and I manufacture in and of ourselves. You can't go out to the Christian bookstore, which there are very few left anymore, and buy a slice of temperance. You you can't go out to the Christian bookstore and say, could I just get a spoonful of gentleness? There's not little widgets that you and I can purchase. Those are things that the power of the Holy Spirit does within us. So we can grow in character. We can grow in prayer. Number three, we can grow in ministry. Say, how do we do that? That's why what we're doing this morning is so important. That's why small groups are so important. That's why church community is so important. That's why being together with other believers is so important. Not just important for you, but important for me. You know why it's important? I can deceive myself, so can you. I can deceive myself into thinking I'm actually doing pretty good at living the Christian life. And then when I put myself in the context of a biblical community and a small group, and I hear what God's doing with other people, and I hear them talk about, wow, I'm facing this challenge, but God's getting me through it. Their faith shines a light on my faith, and I go, wow, I could grow in that area. I could get better in that area. It helps me realize who I really am. Because most of us, not all of us, because there are some of us that think of ourselves less than we should. But the majority of people, when you survey them and you do a, a across the population, most of us normally say we're doing better than we actually really are. Which is that typical Sunday morning, I'm fine. How you doing? I'm fine. I'm fine. I can deceive myself into thinking I'm better than I really am. And you know what? That happens, church family, when we stop learning. So how, do we, how else do we grow in ministry? Two little things about that I'll just add on here quickly. We can praise God for doing the work that we can't while we do the work that we can Paul is telling Timothy, yes, it's through the power of the Holy Spirit, but as you're looking for people who could step out and be leaders, there are some people that need to be willing to work, as we talked about, and to put in, if I can put it this way, some sweat equity into their faith. God does all the work we can't, but He has given us the privilege and responsibility to partner with Him. As a matter of fact, Paul will go on to say things like this to Timothy. He'll say things like, run the race. 
He'll say, say things like we've already read, fight the good fight. God's not going to magically give you and I a great reputation. The Holy Spirit is not going to automatically illuminate some scripture that you and I have never read. We have our part to do. God will empower us, but we have a responsibility. So why did Paul again tell Timothy all these things? Let's read it again, verse 14. I'm telling you all this. I'm writing these things to you. Hoping to come to you before long, but in case I am delayed. I'm writing so that you may know how one ought to conduct himself to the household of God. Which is the church of the living God. The pillar and support of the truth. Church family, we could preach three sermons off of that one verse of Scripture. That's what we are. That's what you and I are as brothers and sisters in Christ. We are the church. Church is not a building. We are the church. The living God lives among us. The living God that when we leave church today, the living God will not stay in this room. The living God will go with us to our workplace, to where we play, to where we go to school. And that church of us, of people, the living God, will be a pillar and support of truth. If there's ever a time our communities needed a pillar and support of truth, wow, it's now. And so Paul is saying, the church, when we come together physically and corporately, this is how we should conduct ourselves. This is how we should serve in leadership. So here's the question this morning. Are you ready to be a leader? It's interesting to me that our criteria, our, our, the bar that we set sometimes among sports and academics and workplace achievements and society clubs and all those things, we set the bar so high. And then when it comes to spiritual leadership, we set the bar way down here. I'm thankful that that's not the case at this church. Bars are set high. And God wants to use you. God wants to use me today to be a leader. So are you ready to be a leader? Church family, we need, we need more leaders in our church right now. Not, not when we continue, Lord willing, to grow and we have 30, 40, 50 more people in this place. We need church, we need leaders now. Our student ministry needs leaders, our children ministry needs leaders, our media team needs leaders, our music ministry needs leaders. Are you willing to step up and lead? Will you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you for your word that tells us. It's a mirror, really, God, that we can spiritually walk up to and look in that mirror and say, do we look like that? Men and women, are we people of temperance, gentleness, sober-minded, hospitable, desiring to teach? Lord, that's a long list, and it's hard, actually it's impossible, in and of ourselves to accomplish it. But thanks be to God, through your Holy Spirit, you can create in us Make us to become the men and women that you want us to be. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation in just a minute, church family. But I want to ask where you're seated this morning while you're praying. 
men and women alike, could you just ask the Lord that question? God, are you calling me to step out and be a leader? Don't, don't ask God, do I measure up? That's not the question, because none of us do. None of us do, including me. Would you ask the Lord, are you calling me to step out and be a leader? What's he saying to you? If he's asking you to do that, dear friend, he's going to equip you with the tools necessary to do what he's calling you to do. Maybe he is waiting on you to say yes before he moves those other tools into your toolbox. So while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I just want to ask that question and give you an opportunity to respond today. Is God calling you to be a leader? Some of you are already leading in our church. I'm so thankful for you. Because it is a team effort. can't be done by one or two or even ten. So if you're already leading, I thank God for you today. But if you're not, and this morning, you feel the impression of the Holy Spirit on you saying, you know what, it's time for you to step out and lead. Then I want to ask you to do something bold and courageous this morning right there in your seat. I want you just to stand to your feet and confess that to the Lord quietly. And pray, you can ask God to show you where that is, to give you the tools necessary to do it. But if that's you, quietly and reverently, just stand to your feet and do business with the Lord this morning. Who is the Lord Jesus calling out to lead today? Anybody? Just do business with the Lord right there where you are. Just share your heart with Him, whatever that might be. If you're scared of what God might have you do, tell Him. If you don't know what it is for sure, say, God, show me. Anybody else? God calling you out to be a leader today. Lord, thank you. For these friends who are standing, I pray right now for them in Jesus' name. Would you wrap your arms around them? Let them know that you love them. Show them where it is that you want them to serve. Remind them, Lord, remind us, remind me. We are totally dependent upon you. Yes, God, you've given us gifts, and those belong to you, and those were created by you. In and of ourselves, we bring nothing to the table. It's all you. So, God, I pray that 
Lord, you would show these friends who are standing the next step that they need to take. Maybe they need to go share this with somebody. Maybe, Lord, for those that you've shown, hey, I want you to serve right here. Lord, lead them in the right direction to what that next step might be. I'm going to ask the rest of our church family, if you would, just quietly, reverently, if you'd stand to your feet. We're going to sing a song of invitation. And maybe this morning you need to respond visibly, come down to the front. I'm going to ask my friend Corey to come and stand here with me. Maybe you need prayer this morning, whatever the need is. Maybe you want to put your roots down here at Crossroads, if that's you. Maybe you've been visiting for a few weeks. You want to make this place your home. I can't think of a better church to be a part of. And we're going to just ask you to respond as God has led you this morning. Jesus, have your way during this invitation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you've been challenged and inspired from today's message. You can find out more about the message you have heard today by visiting our website, hope at crossroads.org. If you live in the upstate South Carolina area and you're looking for a church home, we hope you'll come by and visit sometime. Details about our church and service times can also be found online. In addition, we want to invite you to check out some of the great items at our website that will help you, or you can give as a gift to a friend. Devotionals and other resources are all available at hope at crossroads.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you will tune in again next week.